We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to the BearCast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Indeed, Pepsi, and Bet Online. Enjoy the episode, Cal fans. You're now joining part two of this podcast. You know, looking forward as as we look to. You know, I t- taken sort of what we can from this game. How do we measure up against like what's upcoming on the schedule? I think, you know, if you look at what you saw from Chase and that kind of progression is, as you say, Rob, maybe an opening of the playbook to me was more about the receivers kind mm-hmm. of than it was about Chase himself. And that we just started to see some receivers flash in ways that we haven't seen, like seeing a receiver have the game that Kakoa Crawford had. Dude, that's like a Keenan Allen game. Like literally Keenan Allen had that game this weekend. <laughs> in the NFL yeah. <laughs> just way better yeah 100 yards <laughs> in the first half <laughs> but that to me is so exciting to get you know, that on our third down efficiency was incredible uh to to see that type of confidence to have confidence that we were going to convert on third down I liked what we were trying to do on offense we ran a lot of random plays for like s- s- minus yards like where we would run these short routes for negative two yards that were really perplexing to me but then uh, the flip side was we would have some solid gains on first and second down that would put us in third and manageable. It reminded me of what Sonny Dyke said. It's like the whole entire basis of the air raid is to just set up positions so that you can get first downs quickly and easily. Uh, and so that completing those passes, instead of throwing it, we're obviously leaning more on the run. And I think, Rob, that's what we wanted. We wanted to see more of a balance in an mm-hmm. offense, but we just haven't. We yeah I don't, I don't know if it was the O line being out it just sort of seemed like we ran out of effectiveness if you will and so as we go forward it would be interesting if we get those offensive linemen back can we play a very Stanford like Stanford similar style this week you know this Friday and run a game plan that is fifty fifty if not more majority run and see if we can kind of beat down the Stanford defense over time. Or is it something where, you know, we're going to need Chase Heroics to kind of win the game? I'm not I'm not totally sure. But it it is an interesting, as we look kind of forward to what is ahead of us and then facing Oregon, I do have a fair amount of confidence that we're going to be able to put up some points, move the ball. And that's exciting because, you know, three years ago, we were really struggling with that. Yeah, I think it needs to be said, too. Uh, general rule of thumb for any like young player on the offensive line is if I remember, if I remember hearing this correctly is that run concepts are easier than pass pass pro. Right. Cause you're, you're, you're being forced to move up. Um, and just like your assignment is going to be, that's the guy you're blocking and you're sealing him out to the left or right. 
and like and you're pulling and you're going to the second level and that's your thing like it's it's much easier to learn the run concepts rather than pass pro and the shifts and like who to pick up and how to blitz protect and how to like shed guys like off to your next dude like i i've i've heard that running is a lot easier and so we have this question uh from someone who's watching a live stream uh said did we throw any right running back screens to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers with some lead blocking seems that could have countered osu's d shutting down our runners but i think that's the point is that we had so many young guys on the offensive line that just not native running plays and like just normal running plays were easier for to make sure that they limited their mistakes versus trying to get them to run out and do a screen blocking scheme. Like that's it's, it's rough on young guys. So I think that's why we might have ran a bit more than we wanted to. Um, I know it, it definitely felt very much like a, Sean McVay's like first year with the Rams, right? It felt very much like we're just going to run the ball, run the ball up the middle, run the ball up the middle, run the ball up the middle until you, until you sell out to stop the run. And then we're going to just play action you to death. And that kind of felt like what we were trying to accomplish, except the fact that we didn't have our Todd Gurley. We didn't have a guy that was gaining three to four yards every time he touched the ball on runs up the middle. Right. And then, so it was clear that we weren't going to gain those yards. And then by the time we tried to play action, they already knew it was coming because we were, it was third and eight. (laughs) They knew we had to pass on this and they knew even in I formation, we're just going to pull the ball and run out. And if, even if we handed the ball off, they were selling out to stop the run anyways, that they were going to, we were going to get stopped. And that's exactly what happened for the majority of the game um, outside of those drives where we started out passing the ball. Right where we started off passing on first down and on second down and throwing and keeping them honest. You know, we're, we talked about what Trey talked about last week, right? Which is the the corners are going to sit on your routes if you don't if you don't attack them deep and keep them honest. And what do we do out of the gate? We fire deep, like just out of the gate. That's like one of the first things we did is we started throwing those deep balls to Kakoa, um, to Makai, like just down the field. 15, 20 yards down the field and just forcing them to back off our receivers off of the line. And that was effective. And we hoped that that would open up our running game, but it clearly did not. But then we, and then we really diverted to, we're going to try to work our, we went past first to run, to open up the run. And then it started working. And then we are like, oh, okay, that means our run's effective. So we're going to try running to open up our fa- pass game again, which did not work. <laughs> But clearly we tried to keep doing that. And that's where that's the confusion to me, where it's like, we know what was effective in this game. Why did we go away from it? And it's that turtling thing that, you know, the three of us have already talked about. And a lot of the writers have talked about. And Nick is an adamant, adamant person against this, uh, which is just in a game where you're only up seven, you can't afford to be conservative. Because if you give the ball back, this is college football. Like, anything can happen. And it's exactly what happened. Like, we go three and out, and then we and then it's just they have the ball and they score. Like, it's it, it, it just does not make any sense why you would take the foot off of your gas pedal when you're only up by a single score in a tight game. And so I think – but that we've seen that year after year with this program over the last four years. And that's the thing that, you know – Oh, I hate, I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but that's the, one of the things that I, I miss, I guess, about the Sonny Dykes years. Wow. No matter, no matter what the score was, he was always looking to score one more. How the no tables have turned. Uh, yeah. yeah how, right, first of all, how the turntables have turned. <laughs> that's not entirely accurate because if you do, like, I'm with you, Rob. I'm with you. But like, we have to appreciate that Sonny had his fair share of turtling as well. True, true. Like the surrender punts, I understand. Yes. I get. Yeah, I totally get. <laughs> I'm yeah, 100%. And I'm I'm not going to say I or I'm going to say also there all, there's also that caveat of there were a lot of games where he had to score, like the Texas game, because the scores were so close. You had to keep scoring. You cannot <laughs> keep your you cannot take the foot off the gas pedal at that point. Like you had you had fully committed to to blowing your engine just to get to the finish line. Like you had fully committed to that. So I understand that aspect of it. 
But that's the one thing I miss is that we don't have that cutthroat type of like ruthlessness, like when it comes to our offense and our willingness to do so. Right. Yeah. There was no re. I mean, yeah. I could. I swear, like this horse is dead, and we're beating it over and over again. (laughs) But I do just like I'm with you, man. I think that was my one. I agree with you entirely. So going back to the question that was asked, when you think about. getting downfield as an offensive lineman, you did not really see our O-line doing that that well. Mm-hmm. And that to me is why the screen, like, I mean, what was I calling for? Yes. Like I was calling more for screens against UCLA because like you can one, see how UCLA sets up screens so well against us and like Chip Kelly's master at it, but also just because their defense was selling out. So like those type of plays would work well. Um, and we didn't do any of it. And then in this game, you know, I felt like Oregon state's defense, they kind of sold out on the blitz. I think the drew already called out the most important part, like play that game though. Oregon state sends everybody. Makai Polk's wide open on the right hand mm-hmm. side and chase air, air mails it by about 10 yards or maybe it was five, but in my mind it was 10, but that was, that's it, man. You just gotta, that's, those are the moments you gotta capitalize on. He was wide open. It was wide open. It was the ball game right there. And it didn't happen. But it's a tough book to read. It's a tough book to judge. All the circumstances have been completely not normal. And so I refuse to make a call on the offense. That is (laughs) anything other than we're still playing wait and see. But this was a game where you started to see some confidence build. And I would have liked us to play further into that confidence and I felt like we kind of ran away from it when it mattered most. Yeah. I, what, what are your thoughts, Drew? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, again, we're, we're kind of going, I guess, in circles on the offense. But, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think that this is a Musgrave issue, and I'm hesitant for people to, to do that. You know, I, going back to what Rob said, I mean, It'll be really interesting to see what Bo Baldwin does at Cal Poly because I do think that Wilcox has more influence over the offense than people think. You just see it from 17 to 18 to 19, just how it become more conservative. Um, you know, kind of as the defense became more elite, you know, I think that basically they didn't want the offense to lose games for them. Um, and so, you know, the the second half turtling, I'm, I'm more inclined to think that that was a Wilcox decision to go out and run the ball and try to have one of those drives at the end of the game where, you know, you take eight minutes off the clock and just run the ball and run the ball and score and put the game out of reach. Cause it's just demoralizing. Um, so I'm hesitant to put this on, on Musgrave. Um, I do think that if Cal wants to take the next step as a program, they just need to take more risks on offense. Yep. They definitely do. And I think we kind of saw that at least, in a small version of it from the UCLA game to this game, right? Is we're taking those deep shots now. Like we're, we're letting chase rip it like 40 yards down the field, which I don't know if that counts as risk, but at least we're, we're seeing them gamble a bit more. The biggest, the only, I think the biggest positive for me that I'll take away from Musgraves from Musgrave taking over and particularly seeing from the UCLA game and this one is that we're seeing a lot more young guys play. Like everyone is being given a chance. Like, we Monroe Young has been here for two years, and granted, he's had some injury issues, but he caught his first pass against Oregon State, in, or his his first career pass was in this game against Oregon State. Right? We saw Damian Moore, who's a f- true freshman running back, basically become the starter for for the game. Right? He was arguably our most expen- or explosive runner, and he leapfrogged Dancy. He leapfrogged uh, to Carlos Brooks. Um, he also leapfrogged his other. Uh, freshman running back Chris Street, who arguably was the better recruited talent. So there's a lot of young guys that are playing, like Moela Iosefa played. Um, in like I'm looking through this list, Trey, uh, Trey Pastor played. Uh, who else? Uh, Elijah Maharo played. Ancelados played. Like an actual snaps at their respective positions, not on special teams. So I think that's the cool part is that we're seeing a lot of young guys being inserted and being allowed to play on offense and on defense. And they're kind of given somewhat clean slates to be able to play. So that's the one positive that I saw um, 
over this. And yeah, I'm excited to see the young guys. That's 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 a big part. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's definitely a nice silver lining. Although I will say it is shocking how different looking Tattersall is compared to Evan Weaver. <laughs> they are very different sized human beings. Evan Weaver's single right arm might be able to eat Evan Tattersall. I was like, oh, all right. This is what happens when you don't have an all world linebacker that just makes every single tackle every game. <laughs> he had a really nice stash though. Like, did you guys notice that on stream? When yeah. they like when or on TV, like when when they saw when they showed Tattersall, like I was like, oh wow, you got a real good mustache going for you, Evan. Like that's <laughs> that's a solid mustache. <laughs> oh well, I think we've uh, as Andy said, we've beaten this horse dead enough, and we probably battered it to all through all seven levels of hell. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about Stanford for a little bit before we before we close out the night. Um, how are you guys feeling about Stanford? I mean, we we glanced on it a little bit, you know, as we were talking and talking about moving forward. But Drew, like, what do you think about the big game coming up in this in these extraordinary times? Yeah, I mean, so you know, twenty twenty weird season. Um, you know, the big game usually I feel like is kind of one in the trenches. Um, you know, you kind of see it every year. Whoever wins the line of scrimmage kind of wins the game. Um, and, and, you know, the offensive line situation for Cal, I think, you know, is probably the most important storyline. Um, you know, they did step up to the plate against Oregon State, but in a rivalry game against Stanford. And Stanford, you know, their bread and butter, what they try to do is just beat you at the line and try to, you know, force their will on you. I mean, so I, I don't know what the situation will be next week, but I assume that, you know, again, we'll be without four out of five of our starters. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to step up big time. I think, you know, that's the difference between winning and losing. Um, I do think that we need to keep an eye on the defense. I think if they play like they did against Oregon state, um, you know, I, I think we need to start talking about the scheme and the whole Deroyer sermon thing, which I wanted to talk about but we didn't get time tonight. <laughs> um, Wait, talk about it. Talk about it. We'll, 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 hey, we'll create space. We'll create space. Yeah. <laughs> there are some questions from fans, which kind of have to do with it. So we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what, what I'm thinking going into the big game is the offensive line um, and how they respond. Andy, what about you? It's our game to lose. Stanford. Mm. Looking awfully pedestrian <laughs> so uh there isn't much that they're they've been able to do that well this year on offense so i agree like if the defense can clamp down a little bit avoid those kind of bigger plays that they've given up in the first couple of games then you know this becomes a really favorable game for us Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, and you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That offer is valid through December 31st, 
Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. And that means you should be getting ready for the big game this Friday with a nice can of Pepsi Cola. Right, Rob? Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Would it suck to lose the axe in the third game of the season in a season that's probably not going to be finished? Yep. Would it be on par with 2020 so far? Absolutely. So once again, kind of writing the put your expectations to the side, but you know, it's a toss up game. Vegas is saying it's like a toss up game. I think, I think it's, I think it's our game to lose realistically. It's our first game at home, a little bit more calm for our dudes out there. You know, just that are not having to travel and worry about whether or not the game's going to be played, those type of things. And another game where the offense has an opportunity to kind of open up. So we'll see. I mean, Stanford's pass defense is 72nd in the country. Like, come on, we got to take advantage and, you know, hold on to the axe for a second straight year. I think if you said, and if you, I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts, that if we were going to lose to Oregon State, get blown out by UCLA, beat Stanford and then lose against Oregon and lose against Washington state. And then (laughs) uh, maybe we'd take it. (laughs) You know, maybe we would. I don't know. I think I would. I just, I don't really care about anything else. Just keep the ax. I would, I would take it and run in a, in a, in a season that didn't matter if we're not playing for anything else anyways. Like we could go seven and we can go zero and seven really, and we'd still make a bowl game. Like it, it's still possible, right? Because there's no there's no restrictions on uh on the bowl game win the win loss number anymore. So yeah, if I, I would I would take a one and six in a in a seven game season, that doesn't mean anything, sure. And if, I mean that if that one meant keeping the axe. It's yeah. Like we, we talked about it so much. Like if we don't, if we give up just one of those explosive play touchdowns in the first half, first quarter of the game, we still win this game. <laughs> like the, the, that's how close this game was. Like it wasn't, I know people are like, we shouldn't be even like close to Oregon state, but like it was, but it also came down to us. Like one single play determined the outcome of this game. Basically. We also have like a selective memory when it comes to Oregon State. Like this historically, we have a hard time with Oregon State. We just do. Like Oregon State isn't necessarily the best. It's not a blue chip yeah. program, but we have a hard time with it. And yeah. just seems to be the way it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like the same way I look at Washington State and I'm kind of like, you know, we've owned Washington State. I know it's a new head coach. But I look at kind of that, and you're like, all right, there's a program that Wilcox has shown that he has dominated, or even Washington, who he won't end up playing. <sighs> well, we have a couple of fan questions um, that I'll get to. So let's go with that, and then we'll close out the night. We got, got a couple. The first one is uh, from someone who's watching us right now live. Uh, it says, in the two games Cal scored – only seven points in the second half. What do you think they can do to reverse that? Is that mostly play calling? Anyone want to? Anyone want to tackle that? Yeah, Drew, take it, Mister Mister Offense is fine right here. <laughs> and so, I mean, UCLA. I mean, honestly, you have to throw away the tape. I mean, it's Musgrave's first ever game with less than forty-eight hours to prep and no spring ball. So, I mean, it's just throw out UCLA, you know, Oregon state, 
I mean, I I don't think it's a coincidence that when Safel got injured, our running game wasn't as effective. I mean, we were running the ball pretty well in the first half. Um, and we haven't gotten a chance to give him a shout out, but Marcel Dancy, I thought, played really well and had some really nice runs. And I, I like the way he plays. He plays hard. Um, you know, we definitely do need to take more risks. Um, but I mean, on, honestly, I think the offense is fine. I think if you're worried about Musgrave, you shouldn't be. Um, you know, you need to give him more time in a normal season and then we can start to debate. But, you know, he's new on the job in COVID with highly unusual circumstances. I mean, you just can't knock on him for that. I think he's right. I think the best comparison I think I can make is that he his Musgrave's offense would need would need to be at the level of Andy Buzz defense for him to be fired after one season and not even a full season, like a six game season. I don't think it's at that level. Uh, so <laughs> bro, we are not firing anyone by the yeah. way, anybody, <laughs> unless there's some sort of disaster that happens inside of the program. That's outside of football itself. Right. There's no way the school is already making so many cuts. There's teachers on furlough, like students, you know, this pandemic isn't going away. No one's getting let go. And so if you're already, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what Drew said, <laughs> save uh, yourself the stress and just enjoy what you're seeing and take note of the things that you like. And then if there's things you don't like, just be like, eh, there's a lot of things I don't like about 2020. Maybe I'll just store it in that category and move on. Yeah. Um, we have some other general questions here, but this is a fun one. To, this is a question that's pretty fun to end on. So I'm going to leave that, but I want to get back to Drew's thing because that's the reason we brought him on and we totally did not talk about it, which is uh, the defensive play calling and his concerns. Uh, I'll I'll begin to say to, that I think I think there's there's legitimate reasons for people to be concerned. And I'm not saying I'm not telling people to be concerned. I'm just saying if you're watching the game and you're concerned about it, your your reasons are valid. Um, but for my personal opinion, it's two games into a season and we're giving Musgrave the benefit of the doubt on all of that. I think we should easily do the same on the defensive end. Now, are there things that can easily be uh, changed and adjusted to make this defense better? Absolutely. The biggest thing we saw against UCLA was that open field missed tackles were an issue. We could not finish off plays to save our life in that game. That kind of changed in the Oregon State game. We were def- we definitely got better at swarming to the ball, finishing off plays. But even with that, there were a lot of play calls that were called where we would call zone defenses um, against you know them running a three wide out set, and we'd have like two guys sitting back in zone with no man to guard, and so we would lose. We basically lost two defenders on those plays. They were just sitting in their zones with nothing to do. There were also times where it didn't seem like our defense was like set across the board. We didn't know what we were one doing or one anticipating what they were trying to do. So that goes into game planning and the play call in itself. Right. Which is, you know, how, how coaching works. So that those are my two issues that I that I saw that could be rectified, um, but we still have a few more games to see if they can be. But Drew, you're I know you're you have a strong opinion on this, so I want to give you the floor. I do. We uh we might need to do a whole nother pod. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so going back to how you said that we are giving Musgrave the benefit of the doubt, we should give Sermon the same. I completely disagree. I'm holding. Musgrave and Sermon to two different standards. And here's why, I mean, Musgrave, he's new on the job. Um, You know, I know there's very high expectations for college football coaches, but you need to be realistic in that even if this were a 12 game season with spring ball, with fall camp, it would probably take three or four games for the offense to actually start clicking just realistically. Meanwhile, you know, Peter Sermon, you know, we don't talk about the Sermon De Reuter dynamic enough as Cal fans. And it kind of baffles me because, I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to say unprecedented, but it's highly unusual 
I mean, you, you kind of see his rise from within the program. You know, 2018, he was an inside linebackers coach. Then in 19, he gets promoted to co-defensive coordinator without the play calling duties. And now he is co-defensive coordinator with the play calling duties. Meanwhile, the guy who was responsible for him transforming Cal into a god-awful defense and creating elite defenses in 18 and 19 that we haven't seen, I think, probably since the, those late 90s teams, you know, he's still in the building. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, gotten demoted twice, you know, while Peter Sermon has been promoted a couple times. And I think, you know, you know, who, who knows what the real reason is, but, you know, the thinking is, is that, you know, DeRoyter is an excellent defensive coordinator. He's probably going to get poached either from, you know, an elite program who has the money to pay a D coordinator some real cash, or he'll just go back into head coaching. And, you know, so we'll groom Sermon, you know, into the play calling duty. So when DeRoyter leaves, it'll be a smooth transition. And, you know, it's college football. You're going to lose good coordinators. It's just it's just part of the deal. And I don't think I've ever seen an elite coordinator get demoted to groom the next guy. Like imagine if like Tedford at Oregon didn't take the Cal job and Mike Blair was like, Oh, now you're co-offensive coordinator. And then he stays again. And is like, Oh, now you're the co-offensive coordinator, but you're not going to be calling plays anymore. It, I mean, it's, it's just unusual. And, you know, I do think Wilcox is an excellent coach, but I mean, to make that decision to take the play calling duties away from DeRoyter, you know, it does open up a little bit of criticism and it, you know, he's putting his name on the line when he does that, I think. Um, and then couple that with Sermon comes with a little bit of baggage as the chief play caller. He was, you know, not the defenses at Mississippi state and Louisville where he was only there for one season each. They were not great. And when he got um, promoted, I mean, Louisville fans and Mississippi state fans were on Twitter, like, Oh, good luck with this kind of like, I mean, like, imagine if, like, Andy Boo got, like, promoted somewhere else. <laughs> like, the, the things that we would say, and it's, like, kind of on the same level. So, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you get promoted like that, and meanwhile, the guy who's responsible for turning the defensive rounds getting demoted and still in the building, you know, it, it raises some questions. So, you need to hold him to a high standard because, I mean, that's what we need to expect if there's someone that good that can replace DeRoyter, I mean, you have to think that there's something special there. And I mean, the first, I won't talk about UCLA because I don't think it's, it's fair to him. I mean, he had less than 48 hours and to prepare and going against a Chip Kelly offense, that is a pretty tall order. I mean, their offense is, you know, kind of conducive to less preparation, <laughs> I, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, like the thing that I liked about DeRoyter is he always found creative ways to put pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, it wasn't like we had a bunch of guys that would just, it's not like we had a bunch of Aaron Donalds or Cam Jordans up front, but we were able to get to the quarterback and make them uncomfortable. And that's how we were ultimately able to get so many picks. Like, I guess just one game that comes to mind is the 2018 USC game. Um, you know, there were a, a lot of sacks against JT Daniels where it was just good play calling. Like Evan Weaver would come on and delay blitz, um, sack him like in important times. And, you know, I'm just not, the quarterback's upright too much or the quarterback was upright too much against Oregon state. Um, and you know, when they are getting beat downfield, it's not like the corners are getting beat. The corners are doing fine in man coverage. It just seems like, you know, our guys aren't in the right spot. Um, and you know, we are one game or we're two games in, but really in my mind, we're one game in because you have to throw UCLA out. Um, so I don't think we need, need to draw any conclusions necessarily but it's something to keep an eye on um at the very least because you know again when you make a decision like putting demoting DeRoyter a couple times promoting him a couple more times it it draws some scrutiny um because you know if it ain't broke don't fix it so I guess I'll I'll stop there um <laughs> I'll, I'll stop with that rant <laughs> well you guys chime in Andy so, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting point. I it's it's super speculative, and I think that's where it gets it, you lose me a little bit with it. Is it, one? It, it takes a lot for us to say something like 
Tim DeRoyter was demoted where, you know, he's been, you know, we have no idea what the communication is internally. And as someone who's worked with the program, I cannot tell you the difference between what's actually happening with the football program and what a fan's perspective is. And so it's hard for me to understand to say that Tim DeRoyter, you've been demoted two times in a row and we're elevating somebody else. If you're in management or if you're trying to coach someone that's a leader, you want to give as many people the ability to move up in that organization so that you can maintain talent. So I don't know if DeRoyter is allowing this so that they can keep that talent and keep somebody like Sermon motivated and excited to come to work every day. That would be you know, just as easily plausible to me as the scenario Drew, that you outlined. And, and as I sort of look at the evolution here, it's like, we're still like, we're, we're allowing past historicals to play a much bigger factor here than we are with somebody like Bill Musgrave and using very similar arguments. And I know Drew, you went out of your way to kind of talk to that at the beginning, but I still don't think it totally absolves that reality here in that you have somebody that's taken on it to me it's much more about what you've lost than it is about scheme or calls and so on and so forth because i think there's bias and and ultimately like when you look at losing somebody like you know hawkins like jalen was so critical like that's what i look at is like you put elijah into a new position at safety you're replacing Ashton Davis and uh, like Jalen Hawkins, who are both like both in the NFL right now. And, and then on top of it, you're taking away your all world middle linebacker or linebacker. That was just like, you know, the captain of the defense. And you've also lost some people on the D line as well. And in transfers and losing Luke Beckett definitely hurt. Luke Beckett was a big player for us last season and losing him is, is, absolutely in a, in a position of need right now being our D line like that, that one hurts. And we also lost uh Tevin Paul. Like he was really good too. Like, and there's been a bunch of guys that have kind of come through and been that edge edge rusher for us. So it's really hard for me to point at that and be, a, be like, Oh, that's an area that we need to focus to be concerned about. And there's demotions going on. You know, DeRoyter is getting looks as, as a head coach. So I think it's smart to, just continue to promote from within as much as you possibly can. We saw, you know, our favorite positional coach move over to the Miami Dolphins and GA. So we know that people are looking at the program from a defensive standpoint and saying, Hey, there's talent there and we should potentially poach it. So as you're doing that, I think it's a matter of, okay, how do I, I do agree. Like, I think absolutely they're trying to protect themselves in case of loss, but I also don't see this as slights against Reuter there's no possible way that Wilcox being younger is telling a head coach with more experience than him that he's going to continue to demote him to bring somebody else along in the same way that I, I don't really buy that Wilcox is coming into somebody like Bill Musgrave and being like, Hey, I want to run the offense this way. And by the way, I'm going to call these plays in your second game ever uh, in the most important possession of the game. Like it just doesn't, those things seem to fall out of the world of reality with me. And so some of these things to me just kind of exist a little bit outside of the scope in which, where I'd like normally would view Cal football. I'm not trying to dismiss it entirely because do I think it's it's something that's interesting in, in a unique point? Absolutely. But that sort of my perspective is one of, there's just a lot of conjecture and I try to kind of avoid that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the point being made about being speculative, that's, that's what I'm trying not to do. Actually, I'm not trying to speculate because you're right. Like, I don't know what's going through Wilcox's head. I don't know, you know, what, I don't want to speculate. Like I just, I'm not in the program. I don't know what I'm saying. The point I'm more trying to make is that from the outside looking in, you know, it, it draws some very valid questions. You know, why would you roll back responsibility I guess I won't use the word demotion, but roll back responsibility of the guy who called the plays, who turned around the defense. Um, so I guess I won't speculate. I'm, I'm trying not to speculate. Sorry. I guess it's more from the outside looking in, it does raise some questions. Um, 
you know, I think when you talk about it being an issue of who you've lost, I think that's what I was trying to say is that I've been impressed with the replacements. Um, I do expect that there will be some drop off because, I mean, Evan Weaver, Jalen Hawkins, Ashton Davis, um, you mentioned Luke Beckett. I mean, those are all very solid players and kind of irreplaceable. But, you know, the guys that replace them, I've been impressed with. So, you know, it's not like they're getting, you know, beat deep and making rookie mistakes. Um, to Rob's point, you know, some of the calls, I mean, they're just, they're just kind of sitting out there with no one to guard. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing too, is like just bringing the pressure. Um, I haven't seen the same creativity. And again, it's one Oregon state game that I'm looking at. So it's, it's kind of hard to draw conclusions, but he didn't dial up the pressure like the Reuter did, you know, in some of those games where we just absolutely shut off and down. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to speculate. Um, you know, that's the last thing I want to do. Um, but, you know, it does raise some questions because it is unprecedented, um, you know, rolling back responsibility from, you know, a very solid defense coordinator who's going to get looks from top programs to be their defense coordinator and might become a head coach again. Yeah, I mean, valid. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's all, it's all interesting. And, you know, as we, as we sort of go forward, I, I agree in, you know, appreciate Drew, the idea of like kind of like spotlighting it and making listeners aware um, of sort of that transition that exists. But, you know, along those same lines, it's, it's a matter of, do we have faith in, I think you're talking to like Rob, we've had a pretty unique lens into the Wilcox coaching philosophy and where things sort of how he views things in leadership and management. And he's done an amazing job at basically absolving or not absolving, uh, erasing any doubt in my mind that that man knows how to lead a program. So I think what you're also going to come up against is, you know, there's definitely a large amount of faith. I think that we have in him making sort of the right decisions and having those right conversations in order to set the program up for success. And uh, it would just feel out of character, but I can't, I mean, I can't definitively say that's not possible because you never know. (laughs) You (laughs) truly never know, but uh, it just, it would feel counter to sort of what we've come to know as the Cal program as it is today. Yeah. I I think, you know, to Andy's point, I think the one we had we had the chance to sit down with Wilcox, not just us, but a whole bunch of media to do like a football one oh one session with Wilcox. And one of the questions that someone asked him was about uh in-game play calling, like when to go for it on fourth down, right? And if I remember correctly, his answer was some something and I'm I'm not I'm paraphrasing here. It was something along the lines of like We'll we'll talk to the analytics guys and we'll talk about like if I should be if we should be going for it here on fourth down or whatnot. And he'll give the general direction to the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator about what he wants to do. Like I want to be conservative here, or I want to be, you know, like let's let's shut them down, let's blitz them, or you know, on offense, it's like all right, if we get the first down here, like let's let's try and go for the end zone on that first play. Right. Like things like that, just general big picture. Like this is kind of how I want the game flow to go. And, but he also did say like the, ultimately the play calling itself is left up to the coordinators. So I think, I think they're both valid points. I think there, there are questions that people can definitely bring up about Sermon's play calling that has happened. But I also, I also, as to Andy's point too, like, don't think, that any of these decisions come just from the top because we like, we, we talk about like when, uh, when he first hired Baldwin and he first hired DeRoyter, like those were two guys with head coaching experience. Like he, he's a first time head coach bringing in two offensive, two coordinators that have head coaching experience. Like I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to say he didn't hire them to be able to lean on them for their advice and for some direction. And so if that's the case that if that's the reason uh, a reason that he brought in those two guys and we're talking about the Reuter here specifically, 
I don't think this, these decisions are made without his consent. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that room happens of like, we're going to promote, we're going to switch sermon to play calling duties and we're going to move you to game planning, which is kind of what they talked about in preseason or spring ball last year when that switch was made. Um, so like, you know, it could be that, you know, DeRoyter, and this is speculation, right? Like DeRoyter wanted to give up his play calling duties. Like he wanted to take a step back. Um, there's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ifs um, that could have happened in that decision making. But I think the one thing that I think, at least I think Andy, you can agree with this is, you know, judging from all the conversations we've had with these coaches, the one thing for sure is that it wasn't a one-way decision. And it was definitely something a bit more of a collaborative decision to go in that direction. But w- is that the right direction that was made? And was the, was it a correct one? We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> like we'll we'll find out in like the next like eight to ten games, right? Um, ending this season and then going into next year, and then you know we'll have Drew back on the podcast next year, and we'll be like, you know what, you were right, you were absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> this was not a good move. No, otherwise, otherwise we might have Drew back on here. We can we be like Drew, we told you, we told you, we told you, Drew. So yeah, I mean. I- I don't think that you'll be able to come to any firm conclusions in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. 2020 will definitely be a, a much bigger indicator um, for sure. I mean, this is just a wonky season. Um, but, you know, kind of to your point, like, you know, you both being able to actually sit down with Wilcox and kind of know his philosophy or leading a program, um, you know, again, I don't want to speculate at all. There might be very well an explanation of, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, you know, I drop it. But that explanation hasn't been given. So I think that he does need to understand the optics of it from the outside, looking and looking on paper, um, you know, kind of what people are thinking. And, you know, I I think a point too that I'm trying to bring up is, you know, we don't really talk about that enough. Um, I I think it's kind of an afterthought and I guess I'm trying to highlight it a bit more just because it's such an unusual uh, dynamic. I don't think I've seen it before. Maybe correct me if you guys have, but I personally haven't. No, I I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think the only the only argument I can make to that is that Wilcox doesn't care about the optics of what other people do. As long as it's a win on the field, like for him, I think that's all that matters. He could care less about what people think of him in the program. I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, like for season ending injuries, like we get no idea what it is. It's it's upper body or lower injury or lower body, like. You know, we don't get any specifics about that stuff. Like it's, I think it'd be hard pressed for us to get any of that. And you can clearly tell from like press conference and stuff. Like that's all he cares about is like the wins of us. The man doesn't even have a TV at home. Like he, like he eats, breathes, lives football. Like, I don't think, I, I honestly think he doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't he have like the same car that he had in college? <laughs> I thought, I, I thought, I thought I read that somewhere I, that he has like a 20 plus year old car. That might he might be one of those he might be one of those guys too. I wouldn't be I would not be surprised. If, he takes the bar to work, right? Yeah, I think he lives in Berkeley, so I'd he might, he might just like walk or run to 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 what uh, to his office. Who knows? Maybe he does the Deadford thing where he has one of those like cots in his in his uh, <laughs> in his office, and that's where he sleeps. Tedford slept in his office way too much. <laughs> <laughs> And since I uh, since I did my undergrad degree, can I also give a shout out that Wilcox, Musgrave, and Sermon all went to Oregon? We never talked about that either. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. the Oregon connection, the Oregon connection, and the Washington connection is pretty strong with this coaching staff right now. Um, but yeah, gents, we've been talking for a little bit over an hour and twenty minutes. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You guys both had long days at work, so you guys should get some rest. But yeah, I think that's a good way to end it. Um, it's big game week. It's time for the big game. One more one more message here in our Twitch channel. Give him the axe, the axe, the axe right in the neck. That is exactly what we want to happen this coming Friday. Friday game. Andy, you ready? You ready for some uh, some turkey sandwiches in the press box? Let's go. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. Oh, man. Oh, I am so excited. Um Drew, for all the people that are listening or watching right now, where can they find you, either Twitter or elsewhere? 
I am at Drew H underscore O eight on Twitter. That's where you can find my Cal football takes. <laughs> yes. So if you disagree with his takes, that's just at him. Don't add us, please. <laughs> just just <laughs> at Drew, please. Don't don't add us. Um, Andy, where can they find you? Andy J Beast Mode. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Andy's not usually on the Twitters, but he will check because I I I always get the occasional uh, liked alert from a- a- Andy J Beast Mode. You can find me what? game days, game days only, <laughs> game days That's only. What I'm trying to limit it to it's just game days only. Hashtag game days only. Um, you can find me at Rob11HWNG. Uh, you can find all of our written stuff at writeforcalifornia.com. You can find us uh, on Twitter at Golden Bearcast. If you're watching on Twitch right now, that's twitch.tv backslash Golden Bearcast. Give us a follow there. We'd greatly appreciate it. And that's it. If you're already listening to us on podcast services, then I don't need to tell you where to find us on podcast services, but you're already listening to us. So with that, as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Let's get that axe. Football is back in full swing. Kind of, not really, mainly not. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going to be extra mild to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Can we, and I ask you this, Rob, can we please? See if Bet Online has odds on whether or not the game this week will be canceled due to COVID. We'll see. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert.